I'm Olivia Troy. I was Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to Vice President Pence and served as Vice President Pence's lead staff member on the COVID-19 response. You know, I've been on the COVID task force from day one. I mean, the virus was very unpredictable at the beginning. There were a lot of unknowns, but towards the middle of February, we knew it wasn't a matter of if COVID would become a big pandemic here in the United States, it was a matter of one. But the president didn't want to hear that because his biggest concern was that we were in election year and how is this going to affect what he considered to be his record of success. It was shocking to see the president saying that the virus was a hoax, saying that everything's okay when we know that it's not. The truth is he doesn't actually care about anyone else but himself. He made a statement once that was very striking. I never forgot it because it pretty much defined who he was. When we were in a task force meeting, the president said, maybe this COVID thing is a good thing. I don't like shaking hands with people. I don't have to shake hands with these disgusting people. Those disgusting people are the same people that he claims to care about. These are the people still going to his rallies today who have complete faith in who he is. If the president had taken this virus seriously or if he had actually made an effort to tell how serious it was, he would have slowed the virus spread. He would have saved lives. It was the opportunity in honor of a lifetime to be able to serve in the White House. I put my heart and soul into this role every single day. But at some point, I would come home at night, I would look myself in the mirror and say, are you really making a difference? Does it matter? Because no matter how hard you work and what you do, the president is gonna do something that is detrimental to keeping Americans safe, which is why you signed up for this role. It was awful. It was, it was terrifying. I have been a Republican for my entire life. I am a McCain Republican, I am a Bush Republican, and I am voting for Joe Biden because I truly believe we are at a, a time of constitutional crisis. At this point, it's country over party. Country over party. There's an idea. Thank you, Republicans against Trump. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. 
We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. What an army we've got blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us once again for another thrilling edition of the world-famous Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Uh, yes, at the top of the show there, that was Desi Doyen. Who was that? What was her name again? <laughs> That's Olivia Troy. She was a Homeland Security Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence. She was also his lead staffer on the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Um, the Washington Post reports that she played a central role in running the White House Coronavirus Task Force until she left the government last month, and she has now cut this ad for the Republicans against Trump uh, because she said she's she felt she was compelled to speak out and yeah. tell what she saw when she was at the White House Good. and uh, had to endorse Biden. Yeah. Wow. Good yeah. for her. And she asks there, uh, you know, she says that she had asked herself, are you really making a difference? The answer, I would say, as of now, yes. Yes, she is. So thank you to uh, Olivia. Olivia o Troy. Olivia Troy. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Olivia. And thanks to you for joining us today. That That's just one of the things that is going on today. There is a mountain of them all happening at once. It is a mountain that we can't even begin to climb, I'm sad to say. But we'll try anyway. <laughs> We have uh, we've failed at easier things before, haven't we? <laughs> so here's just one of those things going on today. On Thursday, Donald Trump's FBI director, Donald Trump's FBI director, Christopher Wray, the one that he put in place after firing James Comey, Christopher Wray described, quote, very active, unquote, efforts by Russians to exert influence on the November presidential election with a meddling campaign focused on denigrating Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. During Ray's testimony before the House Homeland Security Committee on Thursday, he said that the intelligence community consensus is that Russia continues to try to influence our elections, which he said differs from interference efforts during the 2016 presidential election involving the hack of Democrats' emails and state elections assistant, uh, election systems. Here is some of his testimony on Thursday at the House Homeland Security Committee. The intelligence community's consensus uh, is that Russia continues to try to influence our elections. Um, primarily through what we would call malign foreign influence, uh, as opposed to what we saw in 2016, where there was also an effort to target election infrastructure, you know, cyber targeting. We have not seen that second part yet this year or this cycle, uh, but we certainly have seen very active, very active uh, efforts by the Russians to influence our election in 2020 uh, through what I would call more the malign foreign influence uh, side of things. Social media, use of, of proxies, uh, state media, online journals, uh, et cetera, an effort to both sow divisiveness and discord. Uh, and, and I think the intelligence community has, has uh, assessed this publicly, uh, to primarily to denigrate Vice President Biden 
and what the Russians see as kind of an anti-Russian establishment, um, that's, that's essentially what we're seeing in 2020. That was Donald Trump's FBI director, Christopher Wray, testifying in the House on Thursday. Now, I do realize that we have folks, supposedly progressives and Democrats, who listen to this show and still have skepticism about Russia's role in uh, interference in the 2016 election. Well, they should have skepticism. I do. But not as to whether it happened, but rather exactly what happened. How much interference was there, what exactly they did or did not do, and at least as far as I'm concerned, was there any manipulation of the vote count, the election results in states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, which it seems we will never know because neither Barack Obama's intelligence officials nor those serving uh, under the Trump administration None of them apparently ever bothered to check in those states to make sure that the results were accurate. By way of a reminder, here is the Department of Homeland Security's then head of cybersecurity for voting systems, Jeanette Manfra, in June of 2016, being asked directly about this. I think it's 2017. 2017, thank you very much. Being asked about this by Senator Ron Wyden during a committee hearing. Uh, in the Senate, being asked whether DHS ever bothered to inspect the voting machines after the 2016 election. Has the department conducted any kind of post-election forensics on the voting machines that were used in 2016? We have not. Our department has not conducted forensics on specific voting machines. No. The DHS, her department, has not uh, inspected those voting machines. No one ever did. So, in truth, we still do not know what Russia did or didn't do back in 2016. But here, you, you do not have to be one of those angry Democrats, as Donald Trump likes to call them, uh, still upset that Hillary Clinton didn't win the 2016 election, so making up excuses for having lost... Uh, here you have Donald Trump's own FBI director, his hand-selected FBI director, hand-selected by Trump to replace Jim Comey, who Trump pretends had it out for him when, in fact, it was Clinton's campaign who was harmed by Jim Comey before the 2016 election, not Trump's campaign. Comey discussed an, an FBI investigation of Hillary Clinton several times in the days just before the 2016 election. While he and everyone in his agency kept completely quiet about an ongoing counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign and of Donald Trump himself and potential ties to Russia. So even if you're uh, one of those quote unquote, you know, Russiagate skeptics about 2016, well, you would be an idiot not to hear what Trump's own FBI director in this instance, is telling you. So don't be an idiot. <laughs> Ray's remarks come as Trump and several other top administration uh, uh, officials downplay reports that Russia is working to help him win re-election, and instead they stoke a theory that China is meddling in the November election to assist Biden, for which apparently there is no actual evidence of any active measures being taken. And indeed, other analyses find that China would actually prefer Trump over Biden, 
since Trump has allowed China to pretty much get away with everything that they have, you know, everything that they have been after over these past four years, including a much larger role for China on the international stage and a tremendously diminished U.S. under Trump's utterly failed leadership. Earlier this month, ABC News reported that Trump's Department of Homeland Security intervened to stop the release of an intelligence bulletin that detailed a Russian scheme to attack Joe Biden by painting him to be in poor mental health, which is a claim that Donald Trump himself has repeatedly lobbed at the former vice president in a uh, 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 an echo of the uh, a pretty exact echo of the uh, Russian disinformation scheme that Trump's DHS tried to keep a secret. And then the next day, ABC News reported on another DHS bulletin showing that Russia was boosting the same disinformation that Donald Trump was about voting by mail, which the president continues to claim leads to mass voter fraud despite a lack of evidence for that claim and despite the fact that Donald Trump himself unlawfully registered and unlawfully voted in the state of Florida by absentee mail where Donald Trump has no legal lawful address to vote by mail. Moreover, last month, Trump's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, dismissed the notion of imposing additional sanctions against Russia, even after the director of national intelligence warned for the first time that the country detailed a campaign to, quote, denigrate Biden in the November election. So, hey, if you are a Russia skeptic, fine, be skeptical, but don't be stupid and don't dismiss very real threats to our elections and efforts to manipulate them by Russia or by anyone else, including, yes, domestic actors. Or you can just continue to be, you know, too cool for school and repeat Russia, Russia, Russia in order to foolishly, stupidly marginalize and dismiss any and all claims about interference by foreign nations. Yes, in this case, by Russia in our American elections. You can do that. But Donald Trump's own FBI director now would tell you that you are absolutely wrong. And yes, so will I. So, yeah, as noted, uh, there is a whole lot going on out there today all at once. If there's anybody left out there who has not gone completely bonkers, who has not <laughs> gone, uh, who is not completely out of their gourds by now with all of the madness all occurring all at once. Well, I, I would congratulate you or maybe I would pity you. I don't know, because you must not be fully sentient uh, at this point to not be driven mad by all of this corrupt insanity at the very highest levels of the United States government. As the nation literally burns out west or drowns down south or is being suffocated across the entire country by a global pandemic that has now killed about 200,000 people, most of them needlessly because we have a president of the United States who is putting his own re-election chances ahead of the very lives of the American people, no matter how many will die because of it, just as you heard Mike Pence's top official until what, last month, top official yeah. until last month on the coronavirus task force. That's what she said, not what I said. Well, I say it too, but she said it. And she was a witness to it, direct eyewitness. Yep. And even the head of Trump's own 
uh, CDC communications department uh, at this point. Even he is admitted to going mad. Good for him. After claiming that there is a cabal of scientists, a, a resistance unit, somehow secretly in the bowels of the CDC that is trying to, I guess, undermine the president by fighting to make sure that the CDC, you know, puts out only good and verifiable science to help keep Americans alive. That non-scientist, a this Republican zealot-like character who shows up in all sorts of places to push wingnut Republican propaganda whenever it's needed, guy by the name of Mark, Mark Caputo, he has now wisely decided to take a leave of absence since he was claiming that he was going to be assassinated and that liberals would start shooting people soon or whatever nonsense he was spouting as he was just becoming more and more twisted by all of this. So, yes, sir, please do stand down and please do take care of yourselves. The Attorney General of the United States of America is discussing sedition charges against public elected officials in so-called blue states and cities where Americans are protesting against systemic racial injustice which the Attorney General and, and, and Trump's fixer, Bill Barr, does not believe actually exists among police across the country, though he does believe that prosecutors, including his own at the Department of Justice, are and should be political when investigating and charging Americans, he said, even, if necessary, just before elections. And reportedly, he also requested a heat ray weapon for use in violently clearing peaceful American protesters from Lafayette Square in front of the White House a few weeks ago so that the president could have a photo op holding up a Bible in front of a church, which immediately was condemned by the church who condemned that photo op in front of their church. That is the same, by the way, attorney general who is now comparing lockdowns uh, to prevent people from dying of covid to American slavery. Even as the disease disproportionately kills black and brown people in this country. That is Bill Barr. That is your attorney general. We have whistleblowers now coming forward to charge that uh, DHS in, in, is, is actually locking down immigrants coming to this country applying to apply for asylum. Those immigrants, we know they're being locked down. What we didn't know until this week is that some of them apparently are women are being sterilized through surgical operations against their will and without their knowledge until that surgery has been completed. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Perhaps I missed Bill Barr's outrage or his investigations or prosecutions of any of that. And we have a president claiming that there will be a vaccine available for all Americans any day now, certainly before the election, and that mask wearing is totally unnecessary while his own CDC director, the one that he appointed, admits under oath to Congress that a vaccine will not actually be available until the middle of next year at the earliest, and that wearing masks, yes, saves lives. And that if we all did so for just a month or two, we could get this epidemic under control like pretty much every other civilized nation in the world has, except for the United States. But our president says that that doctor that he appointed to head the CDC does not know what he's talking about and must have been confused when he said it under oath to Congress. 
Oh, yeah. And we have another record week this week for new unemployment claims for the uh, I think it's almost the 30th week in a row now. But a president and a Republican Congress who suggest everything is just fine. There is no need to help American workers with new stimulus checks or expanded unemployment or rent and mortgage moratoriums with uh, no new relief legislation is needed despite a 31% annualized plunge in the nation's GDP because, hey, the Fed propping up Wall Street has resulted in record highs for the stock market and the nation's billionaires, well, they've not been hurt at all by the pandemic. In fact, their net worth has gone up by more than $800 billion since it began. As Americans struggle to figure out how to put food on their table, you know, non-billionaire Americans, how to avoid becoming homeless, how to avoid being killed by Trump's reckless genocidal coronavirus policies to encourage now so-called herd immunity, which means that anywhere from two to eight million Americans must die over the next two to three and a half years in order to be successful. But hey. We will have had it handled, won't we? All it took was a few million Americans to die in the bargain. I could go on and on and on and on, but I won't. You're welcome. Because none of it matters. None of it matters. We can do next to nothing about any of this. All of that that I just went through, we can do next to nothing about any of it over the next 47 days. But what we can do is vote to end this nightmare. Vote to end this madness. That's just about all that we can do. That, along with helping each other to vote and make sure that everyone we know votes this year and everyone that we don't know votes this year. Because between now and November 3rd, as far as I'm concerned, this is, all a, this is about all that actually matters in this country, if we want to keep ourselves alive and keep our democratic republic from collapsing into a post-apocalyptic third world tin pot fascist dictatorship. And to that end, yes, we will continue on this program every damn day if we have to to report on the war and make no mistake it is a war a war on voting and voters that is now being waged by the same forces who have brought you all of all of those nightmares mentioned above that is and must be our central mission between now and november 3rd and likely beyond but certainly between now and november 3rd because that is how we will keep ourselves alive. Even as this president and his Republicans are, yes, at the goddamn Supreme Court trying to take your health care away. With millions, some 20 million now out of work because of his mishandling of the virus. And so now they are without health care. Even with that, Trump and the Republicans are still at the U.S. Supreme Court right now arguing that health care should be taken away from another 30 million Americans who currently are able to receive it only thanks to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. To that end... We've got more voting news today as fighting against that war 
The war on voting continues, and we, at least we've got some partially good news out of Pennsylvania this afternoon, maybe out of Ohio and Arizona, maybe even out of South Carolina, if we can get to it. That's not a swing state, but it is featuring a tight re-election contest for one of the pre- uh, president's greatest enablers in the Senate amid all of this madness. So let's take a quick break and we will come back with as much of that as we can get to, as much of that mountain as we can climb today here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com, keeping ourselves and hopefully you alive. The way to do that? Yeah, you got to vote this year. A U.S. judge on Thursday blocked controversial postal service changes that have slowed mail nationwide, calling them, quote, a politically motivated attack on the efficiency of the postal service before the November election. That's good news, ain't it, Des? Uh, Judge Stanley Bastian in Yakima, Washington, said he was issuing a nationwide preliminary injunction sought by 14 states that sued the Trump administration and the U.S. Postal Service. The state challenged the uh, the states, I should say, challenged the Postal Service's so-called leave mail behind policy by which trucks have been leaving postal facilities on time. Whether or not there is more mail to load, they also sought to force the Postal Service to treat election mail as first class mail, which would uh, raise the cost for states who pay for the postage for election related mail, such as absentee ballot requests and absentee ballots themselves. Judge Bastian said in his ruling, quote, the states have demonstrated the defendants, in this case, the U.S. Postal Service, are involved in a politically motivated attack on the efficiency of the Postal Service. He also said the changes created, quote, a substantial possibility many voters will be disenfranchised. He said he would issue a written order later in the day, but it would be substantially the same as that sought by the states. Of course, following a national uproar, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, a major donor to Donald Trump and to the GOP, announced that he was suspending some of the changes that had been put in place, including the removal of the uh, blue uh, iconic mailboxes that are seen uh, across the country and decommissioning mail processing machines. But other changes would remain in place and... Um, The states, including the battleground states of Michigan, Wisconsin and Nevada, they sued to have those changes undone as well. The other states uh, in the lawsuit include Washington, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Maryland, Minnesota, New Mexico, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont and Virginia, all led by Democratic attorneys general, incredibly enough, that have to now file a lawsuit against the U.S. Postal Service to keep our elections 
fair and working. (laughs) To force the U.S. Postal Service to do its job. Also, New York and Pennsylvania have filed separate lawsuits over the changes. Uh, And uh, speaking of Pennsylvania, we've got some mostly good news from the high court out of that battleground state as well today. President Trump's crusade against secure absentee ballot drop boxes and other absentee voting practices that make the process easier and safer for Americans to vote especially in the middle of a pandemic. That crusade was dealt a major setback on Thursday. Good news with a Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling that permits policies that will facilitate safe and secure absentee mail-in voting. Well, that's nice. The court's decision today greenlights the use of ballot drop boxes at locations other than county elections offices and the court said that, uh, that that ballots received in the three days after the November 3rd election in Pennsylvania can still be counted as long as they are postmarked by Election Day. So they get three days to arrive if it's postmarked by Election Day. Correct. Okay. Another reason why it's so important that the U.S. Postal Service stops slowing up service. Now, Donald Trump has been, uh, and the Republican Party all over the country, has been trying to stop these the use of drop boxes to force people to either risk their lives by voting in mail or to use the Postal Service where their ballots can be slowed down unless uh, the Postal Service follows the order of the, uh, the the federal judge today. Although, you know, in fact, even if they follow the order, there's a whole bunch of equipment that has been taken down. And I'm not clear whether that equipment will be ordered to be restored or not. So drop boxes are important. And the notion that uh, people would have their ballots not counted if, in fact, it can be proven because there's a postmark on it that they voted by November 3rd by Election Day. The Republicans are saying, well, too bad. Even though they voted by Election Day, that won't count unless that ballot gets to the uh, election headquarters by that by the close of polls that day. Never mind that they voted on time, as allowed by law. Sorry, the mail was slow. Well, at least in Pennsylvania now, and at least according to the state's Supreme Court, as long as the ballots show up by uh, three days after the election, they will still be counted in Pennsylvania. The case was brought in state court by Democrats as a way to head off a federal lawsuit that the Trump campaign filed there, targeting the expanded use of drop drop boxes in the Keystone State, where Trump is said to have won in 2016 by just over 40,000 unverifiable votes uh, out of some six million that were cast in the state that year, in a state that went to the Republican presidential nominee for the first time in decades. Additionally, the state Supreme Court Uh, They issued several opinions, so uh, they upheld Pennsylvania's requirement that poll watchers actually be from the county where they're staffed. That's another policy that the Trump campaign is aiming to reverse in its federal case. Because they want to bus in people from out of state. Now, normally, yes, well... I mean, in this case, I would normally oppose uh, this idea, saying that you you must be from the county in order to observe. Uh, I think people should be able to observe at any poll they like. Unfortunately, 
The only reason that Trump and the Republicans are pushing for this to allow people from outside the county is they want to bring in people from outside of certain areas to intimidate voters in those areas, not to observe them, but to intimidate them. Now, there was a a consent decree uh, that prevented Republicans from doing just that, from uh, polling place operations. This d- uh, consent decree was put in place after a 1982 GOP operation in New Jersey where off-duty cops were sent in to minority areas with these Nazi-like ballot security armbands on to try and intimidate voters. Well, that consent decree, after how many decades now, That consent decree had prevented the GOP from going into areas and doing this so-called ballot security operations. But recently, a judge lifted that consent decree. So for the first time, the GOP is going to be able to pull off crap like that, but only if they can recruit people, you know, from other counties and other states even to go in and intimidate voters. So that is what that is about. And. The uh, state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania has said, no, you can't do that. If anyone wants to be a poll watcher, they have to be from the county. So I'm not happy about that requirement in Pennsylvania, frankly, that only local people may observe local polls. But in this case, I don't know. Maybe it's for the best. The judge in the uh, in the federal case the parallel federal case to all of this, uh, that judge happens to be a Trump appointee in Pittsburgh. He had put the federal Republican lawsuit on hold while the Democratic state lawsuit was litigated in state court. Whether today's state Supreme Court ruling will now moot out the federal case, that remains to be seen. The Democrats, however, did not get everything they wanted today with the state Supreme Court decision on uh, Thursday. The court denied the Democrats' requests that election officials be required to provide an opportunity for absentee voters to fix deficiencies on their ballots. That's not good. In other words, this denies them the right, voters the right, to come in and add a signature to their ballot, for example, if they forgot to add one or come in and cure a situation where election officials may think that their signature on the absentee ballot does not match the one that's on file. That's not good. Tens of thousands of ballots are wrongly rejected in states that do not contact voters and allow them to come in and cure these deficiencies. It's just one of the reasons that I Just one of many that I'm no fan of vote by mail personally, except in cases where someone actually can't vote at the polls because they're going to be out of town on Election Day or when a jurisdiction like many of them in Pennsylvania force voters to use 100 percent unverifiable voting touchscreen voting systems at the polling place or when we are in the middle of a deadly global pandemic at that point. Yes. I'm okay with vote by mail. So it underscores the need to extremely carefully fill out your vote by mail ballot and help other people understand the draconian rules and very complicated procedures that you have to fill out for your vote by mail, for your absentee ballot. Follow the rules, pay attention, be careful. It's different in every state as far as what witness signatures you may have to get. uh, How uh, many different times you have to sign and in how many different places you have to sign your ballot. Sometimes some states require a notary 
to notarize your 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 absentee ballot before you're able to send it in. Uh, so yes, sign it, date it, make sure you do everything right, and, and in, in in fact. Don't forget that secrecy envelope. And this is important oh, yeah. because in Pennsylvania this year, you know, I suspect that many votes are going to likely to be discarded for exactly that reason. This uh, secrecy sleeve inside the main envelope when returning the absentee ballot. You know, this is the first year that Pennsylvania has had no excuse absentee voting. So this is new to a lot of people out there. It's new to a lot of people everywhere since there will be so many more people voting by mail this year. So pay attention, especially in Pennsylvania, because apparently you you're not allowed to uh, to know to, if they're notified to yeah. come in and that's, fix it. Yeah, that's nuts. Also on Thursday in Pennsylvania at the Supreme Court, you know, a lot of Democrats will be happy about this. The court also ruled that the Green Party's presidential ticket would not be included on November ballots because the party did not comply, apparently, with the state's rules for submitting uh, the candidate, uh, Howie Hawkins, for ballot placement. That ruling follows a similar one by Wisconsin State Supreme Court on Monday that we talked about. It is sure to make Democrats happy in those states, since in Wisconsin, for example, 2016 Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein uh, she received more votes than the reported margin between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in Wisconsin that year. In another state that went to the Republican presidential candidate reportedly for the first time in decades. So the resolution of that dispute regarding the Green Party on Pennsylvania ballots that uh, now finally allows Pennsylvania election officials to begin Sending out mail-in ballots to their voters, and I would add, not a moment too soon, to be frank, given all the difficulties and lawsuits and everything else that is still to come. So all in all, I would say it's a good day for Democrats uh, in the Keystone State with that uh, state Supreme Court ruling. Uh, but wait, there's more. Our war against the war on voting continues here on the broadcast today. Uh, this is, uh, we moved to Ohio. I should say we moved back to Ohio since this is a story we have been reporting on for a while. Upset that a Democratic judge sided with Democrats in a lawsuit over access to ballot drop boxes. Ohio's Republican Party blasted the judge on Tuesday, accusing him of colluding with political allies to sway November's election. Now, as we have been reporting a few uh, weeks ago, I think it was mid-August, Ohio's Republican Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, decreed that there could be no more than one absentee ballot drop box in each of the Buckeye State's 88 counties. That was a, not a guidance. That was not a suggestion. That was a directive. One drop box only to be placed outside the county's board of elections uh, in each county. Now, at the time, LaRose claimed that he had asked the state attorney general, Dave Yost, who is a longtime hard Republican partisan in the state. LaRose claimed that he had asked Yost for uh, a legal opinion on the matter and whether it would be allowable for counties to use more drop boxes for voters convenience. Now, LaRose claims that he had never heard back from Yo Yost about that question. So 
LaRose just went ahead and issued this decree that there could only be one Dropbox so as to avoid lawsuits like the one filed by the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania to prevent that state from using Dropboxes for absentee voters. Uh, as we noted in that previous story, Republicans, at least according to the state Supreme Court, have now lost that battle, though the, there's still that federal suit in, uh, in Pennsylvania. We'll see how that may change things. That case was put on hold while the state case was worked out in Pennsylvania. So that's what LaRose was claiming he wanted to avoid for Ohio. Well, this week, Franklin County Common Pleas Judge Richard Fry, a Democrat, decided in favor of the Democrats in Ohio. They had filed a suit against LaRose over the matter. And uh, Judge Fry found that, yes, it was perfectly lawful under state law to use as many drop boxes as the county might like. And in turn, Ohio's Republican Party blasted Judge Fry in response to that ruling. Politics as usual, maybe. But the uh, response from Republicans drew a blistering rebuke. On Wednesday, from Ohio's Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, who also happens to be the state's top Republican in the judiciary. O'Connor condemned what she called the Ohio GOP's, quote, disgraceful, deceitful allegation that Judge Fry uh, was uh, acting improperly here. She called it irresponsible. During a uh, contentious debate over the uh, drop boxes, she said in a Wednesday statement, every one of Ohio's 722 judges, 800 magistrates and numerous active retired judges should be greatly concerned and voice their dismay at the irresponsible Republican Party allegation that politics controlled the judge's decision. This is a blatant and unfounded attack on the independence of the Ohio judiciary. According to State House News Bureau, she also added, no matter how the judge ruled to accuse them of partisanship is just at the heart of what I think are efforts to weaken the judiciary. Good for her as well. Indeed. I'm Good glad for she her stepped as up well. and said something. So that's two, count them, two Republicans that we have been able to laud here uh, on today's show for standing up and doing the right thing. And yes, putting country before party. The criticism from O'Connor, who the uh, Washington Post describes as a conservative stalwart in the state. She previously served as Ohio's lieutenant governor. This comes as Dropbox access has become a political flashpoint. Yes, whether a Dropbox can be used or not to safely deliver an absentee ballot amid a pandemic and a postal service purposely slowing down the mail. Somehow that is now a political flashpoint in 2020 in the U.S. And yes, I am terribly embarrassed about it all. We do have listeners, you know, from other countries. And I know. Yes, we're embarrassed back here by this. We're also a bit scared here because this is dangerous stuff. Last month, of course, as I noted, uh, LaRose had ordered county boards of election to uh, to make just one box available per county that uh, angered critics who were concerned about voter suppression, particularly in larger metropolitan counties that would need more than a single drop box to account for all of its absentee ballots. Well, uh, that lawsuit uh, was <laughs> when uh, Fry 
had his uh, finding in this case, uh, he sort of slammed uh, the idea that uh, these these boxes weren't needed. He sort of mocked it as the, quote, equivalent to arguing that every county needs only 100 or some other arbitrary number of voting machines, regardless of the population. He said that view of equal treatment is nonsense. And that's the argument that they're making, that we need equal treatment everywhere. That we should have, this has been something the Republicans have done for a while, ever since Florida 2000. You know, they love to claim there needs to be equal treatment across all counties. So, you know, we can't keep some counties open for early voting for more days or more hours, even though they may have, oh, I don't know, 10, 50, 100 times more people than a rural county. If you're going to allow the, uh, the, the, the metropolitan county to stay open for 10 hours a day, well, then the rural county needs to stay open for 10 hours a day for early voting as well, even though everyone in that county could vote within an hour and be done. Therefore, let's limit early voting to, let's say, an hour just to make sure it's equal everywhere. That was the same argument that they were making here. If we, put more, if we allow counties to have more than one drop box, it will be unfair to, to the all the other counties, counties that don't have more than one drop box. It will be unequal. This is the argument that they made, by the way, successfully back in 2000. And uh, they're trying to make it again in, in the uh, case of drop boxes here. Now, there's a few more complications. I won't go into details. You're welcome here. But as it turns out, Frank LaRose had claimed that he was just fine with adding more drop boxes. That's not a problem. He was just concerned that the law didn't allow him to do so. He wanted an opinion from the attorney general. The attorney general never got back to him, so he just decided on his own, well, there'll be only one drop box. But if a court told him otherwise, if a court told him it was legal, he was just fine with that. He would, uh, he'd be cool with adding more drop boxes. Well, the problem is... A court has now told him it was just fine. And now the Secretary of State, LaRose, says, yeah, well, he says it's just fine, but he didn't order me to get rid of my directive. So unless he orders me to do so, I'm not going to do so. And by the way, even if he does order me to do so, I am going to appeal. Surprise! Surprise! Now, not only did he say, did LaRose say in the federal case on the same matter that he'd be happy, no problem, as long as he got a court order to uh, allow this. He also said it in text messages with a, uh, a, a labor uh, a, a official, I guess, that uh, a labor leader, as identified by Talking Points memo, Tierney Sneed, uh, text messages where he's saying the same thing. He's got no problem at all. He's happy to do it. But now, for some reason, something has changed. Imagine that. So Judge Fry is not happy about it. The uh, head of the Supreme Court in Ohio is not happy about it. She happens to be a Republican. She didn't give her opinion specifically on the case in case it comes to her. But basically, it's a whole bunch of people saying, knock off this crap. Whether they knock off this crap, however, remains to be seen. All right, let me get to one more story if I have time before we get to uh, the Green News report coming up. Uh, South Carolina's Republican governor... Henry McMaster signed a law on Wednesday that changes um, the law in South Carolina regarding voting rules, allowing anyone to cast an absentee ballot without an excuse in November's general election. 
due to the uh, COVID crisis. Well, that is good. Remember, I'm someone I he was not a fan of absentee voting, but in the event of a global pandemic that can kill you if you are forced to go hang out in a polling place to vote, I'm fine with it. So, yes, good for Republican Governor McMaster in South Carolina. Good for the state legislature. They passed this law. It's a much needed change to state law. And yes, it's good for all of the voters of South Carolina. Indeed. To help keep them alive. But yes, Sadly, because it's South Carolina, there is a but or two. The changes passed by the Republican-dominated General Assembly did not include proposals that were pushed by Democrats, including eliminating the requirement that a second per- person witness and sign the ballot for placing multiple uh, uh, for absentee ballots and for placing multiple drop boxes for those ballots in counties. So, yeah, you're still going to have to put yourself in contact with someone to serve as a witness when voting by absentee in South Carolina. That is a risk for many people. Uh, And uh, the state law still requires absentee ballots to be mailed in or dropped off in person at county election commission offices because secure drop boxes around the counties would just be too safe and sensible. Um, But, hey, you know, Republicans here, they uh, got one uh, teeny tiny part of this right. So, yay, Republicans. The rules only apply for the 2020 election, however. They're similar to the ones that were put put in place uh, in the statewide primaries in June. Lawmakers uh, have also agreed to spend money on additional protective equipment for polling places. That's nice of them. There's an idea. And for poll workers, good. Or that, you know, they could otherwise they could just look to Texas where that state's GOP governor has issued a statewide mask mandate, but included an exception for polling places, including for poll workers. Because, of course, Texas. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one maskless poll worker with covid could infect hundreds, if not thousands of folks on Election Day in Texas. Cool, huh? Anyway, in South Carolina, McMaster signed this bill as soon as it landed on his desk this week, surrounded by both Democrats and Republicans. And, of course, every vote in South Carolina is also very important, swing state or otherwise, even as many Democrats assume the state is going to go to Trump. It probably will. Uh, But nobody knows for certain and even less certain. And why this is really important is the election challenge for the U.S. Senate there against Donald Trump's lackey in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, by Jamie Harrison. I know everyone is looking at other Senate seats to flip from red to blue to win back the Senate for Democrats this year. But they should really be looking at South Carolina. There is not a lot of polling in this race. But uh, there have only been two polls in the last uh, couple of months that are uh, at least over at Real Clear Politics, one of them in August and one of them in September this past weekend, both by Quinnipiac, which has an excellent reputation. And they find that the race is a dead heat, a tie, 48 percent apiece for both Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison. So you know what? You want to flip the Senate this year? Don't forget about South Carolina. That is a very live race, believe it or not. And every little bit of vote suppression that can be pulled off by Republicans is likely to help. Don't let it happen, South Carolina. The Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast.
The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I told you. What? I told you I was going to run late. No matter what I tried to do, I was going to run late. So we have to get to it. Our latest Green News report. Parts of Pensacola are under as much as five feet of water from Hurricane Sally, as what's left of the powerful storm continues to dump feet of rain across the south. Hurricane Sally batters Alabama, Florida, and Georgia with record rain and flooding. West Coast wildfires believed responsible for mass die-off of migratory birds. Trump appoints notorious climate science denier to federal climate science agency. Plus, science has never been more important and it's never been more clear that science is important and it shouldn't be a political issue. And yet it is. 175-year-old Science Magazine issues first political endorsement ever. All of those firsts and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And remember, it's only climate change if you believe in science. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, which record-breaking disaster are we leading with today? (laughs) Slow-moving Hurricane Sally, Mm. which hit the Florida-Alabama border Wednesday as a Category 2, unleashing widespread damage and record flooding and as much as three feet of rain in some places. Half a million people are without electricity amid a pandemic and late summer heat. The storm destroyed a section of a new $400 million bridge in Pensacola, Florida. That costly damage underscores some Scientists' warnings that the nation's infrastructure is not built to withstand the impacts of man-made climate change that are here today, much less the impacts for tomorrow. $400 million. Yep. Money that they could have spent to help keep their people safe. Oh, well. Sorry, Florida. The National Hurricane Center forecasts days of inland flooding as the downgraded storm plows a long, slow, disastrous track north. Out in the Atlantic, Hurricane Teddy and several more storms are intensifying, meaning we will soon move to the Greek alphabet for storm names in this historic 2020 Atlantic hurricane season. Out west, firefighters are making some progress against unprecedented wildfires raging across California, Oregon, and Washington. In a very close call, the historic Mount Wilson Observatory outside of Los Angeles was saved. But on Wednesday, California Governor Gavin Newsom said the real battle is against man-made global warming. Thank you, Governor. The smoke from the fires is generating a new public health crisis. Some parts of the west have recorded the worst air quality in the world, spiking rates of hospitalizations for respiratory ailments and heart attacks. The LA Times reports that the cost of fighting the fires in California alone is approaching $600 million. Early estimates of economic losses from the fires are estimated at $150 billion and counting. And yet we are told over and over again that we just can't afford what it would cost to combat climate change. Maybe if we did it 
before the disasters rather than after, we'd save a lot of lives and maybe even a lot of money. Also a disturbing development in the Southwest. Biologists theorize that smoke from the fires and climate change may be behind the sudden and mysterious die-off of long-distance migratory birds Mm. across the region. Scientists say it may be a combination of wildfire smoke plus recent record heat and persistent drought across the Southwest that has depleted insects populations, a major food source, meaning the birds may be starving to death. And these were thousands of of dead birds just showing up all over the Southwest? Dead, yes. With record extreme weather disasters like wildfires and hurricanes slamming the U.S., naturally, Donald Trump chose now to appoint a notorious climate science denier, David Legates, to a top position at the nation's premier climate science research agency, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Legates' appointment to NOAA threatens scientific integrity at the agency, explained Dr. Gretchen Goldman of the Union of Concerned Scientists on CNN. This is a dangerous pick for NOAA because uh, it threatens the thousands of NOAA scientists who conduct and communicate climate science every day. Legates has a long record of accepting fossil fuel industry funds and spreading disinformation about climate science. Well, why not break NOAA, too? We've broken the CDC. We've broken the EPA. NOAA was just getting too big for its britches anyway. Finally, the venerable Scientific American magazine has, for the first time in its 175-year history, endorsed a U.S. presidential candidate, Democrat Joe Biden, in an editorial saying that, quote, the 2020 election is literally a matter of life and death. As Scientific American editor Laura Helmuth explained on CNN. We all agreed that you know, all the evidence shows that Trump has just been catastrophic for science and for public health and for the environment. And Joe Biden has, you know, really smart policies that should make the world better. So uh, we felt like it was our duty to speak up. Well, thank you for doing your duty, scientist. We salute you. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Science is real. Science is real. Science is real. The things we have to argue on this show are so stupid. So true. But hey, welcome to 2020. All right. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope it wasn't too stupid. <laughs> if you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. That service is made possible by those of you who support our efforts at bradblog.com donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>